Hebrews 12, beginning verse 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have, not, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You may be seated. Good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. How are you doing? We're going to pray, and we're going to ask God's blessing and favor on His Word this morning, and uh, looking forward to uh, sharing these two verses. Uh, Two doesn't sound like very many, but uh, I think there's more here in these two verses than what we're going to have time for this morning. So there's plenty of things to discuss and talk through, application to to take a handle and grasp on and and walk out of here with. So um, to that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are faithful. You've been present from the beginning of time. You are marvelous in all your works. Your creative splendor adorns the sky each day. We thank you that we can see that. And observe your work. Lord, you're also the giver of life. Every breath that we breathe has been given by you. The hands that hold, the feet that move, and the heart that beats, and the eyes that see, and the ears that hear, you are the giver of life. Lord, you're also the revealer of truth. We open your word here again today. And we take in truth. We read the pages of scripture and we read of what you have to say. Help us take these wonderful words of life and be obedient to them. You have commanded us to keep your words diligently. And Lord, we are your people. We come before you this morning. We ask that you would breathe in us your breath of life and direct our steps. And I pray that we, as your people, would honor you. That this day we would long for your glory to come down in this place. And we pray, Lord, that you would instill in us a love for you and for those around us who need to know the love of Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that you would receive the glory for your word preached this morning. For Lord, it is your word. So Lord, we just say and submit before you have thine own way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought a fitting way to begin our time in the Word would be just a, a simple acknowledgement on our end. Uh, I believe it's a song that that majority, if not all of you, know. See, we can just sing it sort of like a, uh, a preface or a prelude to hearing God's Word this morning. It goes like this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. Let's sing it one more time. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. It's a good reminder, isn't it? Just before we even look to the word. To turn our eyes upon Jesus. While those words verbatim aren't in the text. Hopefully if you read your Bibles this week. You know there's some words that are really close to that. Looking unto Jesus. At the beginning of verse 2. How important it is that we are looking unto Jesus as we run this race. Well to the Bible. Let's look to the Bible. If you've got your Bibles. I hope you have your Bibles. Um, I hope you bring your Bibles with you. I want to encourage you to bring them with you. Your tools uh, I take my Bible, I, I want to bring my Bible with me wherever I go. It's usually in my car with me, on my dash when I'm driving. I like to have it with me. You never know when you need God's Word with you. When we come into the Lord's house on Sunday and we study God's Word together, we look to see what God has to say. It's important that we have our Word with us. So, when we look at the text and it says, Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run. Let's say that together. Let us run. Let us run. That's the key phrase. If you want to jot down the main phrase, the main verb, the main passage, let us run. That's what I titled this. Let us run. I want you to notice right from the beginning. It doesn't say, let us sit down. Take it easy. I want you to notice it doesn't say, let us watch. There's a race going on. doesn't say that either. It doesn't say, let us talk about it. Just have conversation about it. Isn't that a great race? Boy, isn't that, boy, look, it's talking about the race. Wow, that's, and, and we talk about it. It doesn't say that. The text doesn't say, let us walk. The text doesn't even say, let us jog. Some of us in here might like the word. And the word's not here. Sad to say, it's not here. Trot. Not there. What's it say? Let us run. Let us run. I want to make sure we get the main idea, the main thought. The metaphor is run the race 
set before us. Who's called to run? Us. Notice that's plural. First person plural for you grammar people. We. Us. Here's the next question. Who's the us? The church. The church. We are called to run. This is not a message for uh, spiritual elite people. This is not a message for just the uh, uh, elders, uh, for, for pastors, those on staff in a church somewhere. This message is for the church, the body of believers, those who this morning would say, Yes to Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of my life, he's my savior. I believe that Christ died, I believe he was buried, and I believe three days later he was raised from the dead. Those who believe in the name, or as John says, those who believe and receive. The message is for the Christ follower. Let us run. And what are we running? Race. How many of you like to run races when you were younger? You know, and some of you, even as you're older, you still like to run races. There's something about a race, isn't there? I know for me, I think about a race. I think about a competition. And a competition gets me pretty excited. And for some of you, competition doesn't get you all excited. I get that. But a race implies certain things. Certain images come to mind when we think about the metaphor of running the race. What race is this? It's a race of faith. It's a race of faith. It's set before the Christ follower. That's what kind of race this is. What characterizes this particular race. You know, one of the things that I love about this passage and I love about this metaphor of of the race that's set before us is that the race is run on a course that's been run by a leader who's gone before us and completed the race. He's finished it. He's the forerunner. He's the leader. He's the pioneer. He's blazed the way. He's shown us the way. And as we'll see here in just a moment, not only has he finished it, but he's completed it perfectly. The good news as we consider running the race, church, is that we have someone in Christ who has already run, completed, finished, perfected the race that we're called to run. We don't have to pioneer our own way. The Lord Jesus has already done this. The course has been marked out by Jesus. He completely finished it. Having died on the cross, having been buried, having been raised three days later, having ascended to be with his Father in heaven. In Hebrews 11 We ended Hebrews 11 a month ago. And in Hebrews 11, we saw men and women who lived by faith, right? We saw examples and we saw outcomes, didn't we? Examples, plenty of examples. And then the outcomes, which were twofold, we saw. The first outcome was triumph, victory, overcoming what in our minds would be a very positive result, outcome. There was also the outcome on the other end, near the end of Hebrews 11, which resulted in defeat, resulted in death. So these examples experienced outcomes, some that were favorable, some not so favorable, some even led to death. And now we get to chapter 12. Now all the attention is turned to the church. Remember, 
Chapter 11 was put in place for the church, for the listener, for the audience. So that they could understand in the new covenant what it is to run this race. It's run by faith. And he gives examples and outcomes. Here's what it looks like. And now chapter 12 turns a corner and says, Therefore we also... Now the attention is turned to the church. Now the attention is turned to you and me. Exhortation to run the race. Now it's, you've seen the examples. Now you need to understand the examples are here for your benefit to help you run this race. Therefore we also let us Run the race that is set before us. You know, whenever we think of running a race, um, we think of a finish line. We think uh, perhaps of other competitors. We, we think of uh, the work that it takes to, to train so that I can run well. And maybe you equate running the race with winning the game. When you run this race that the scripture talks about, let me ask you a question. Are you running to win? Are you running to win this race of faith? And there's another question that goes alongside of it. And that is, what is it to win when we speak biblically? Because here's where we part in, in major ways from the world. Let me give you an example. In Joshua... Chapter 1, transition's happening. Joshua's in place. Moses has died. And God speaks right out of the gate to Joshua and says, Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, chapter 1, Only be strong and very courageous. Repeats it. He says, Do not turn from the word, from my command, to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law, chapter 1, verse 8, Shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That you may observe to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What is it to win? What is it to have success? According to what God says to Joshua is to keep this book of the law in you. Meditate upon it day and night. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left. I was thinking about the crown, the prize that you win. I was reminded of what, what James says in chapter 1, verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures, who endures temptation For when he's been approved, when he's been put to the test, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Paul writes in Corinthians chapter 9 about running a race, doesn't he? He uses some of the same imagery here from the Hebrew writer. Do you not know that those who run a race, they run in order to get the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize, says Paul. I mean, think about how foolish it'd be. You line up at the starting line to run a race. And you're going to run this race, but you're really not going to try to win. That's foolish. Why would you line up to run the race if you have no desire to win the race? Paul says, everyone who's in the race is running to win the prize. There's one who gets it. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Give it all you've got. Speaks to our effort, our motive. Talk about winning. What is it to win when we speak biblically? 
there's terminologies, you know, the success and the, the crown. What crown are we after? What reward are we pursuing? What prize are we hoping to win? Paul says to Timothy late in his life, I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. I've finished the race. The Lord said that at the end of his life. I accomplished. I did the work you you called me to, Lord. Paul says in Philippians 3, I press on. I press on. I'm reaching forward. I'm not looking back. I'm pressing on. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, we're to do it heartily as unto the Lord. Whatever you do. That would, that would, that would take, take part right here. Whatever you do, running the race by faith, do it heartily as unto the Lord. No half-hearted effort here in this race. So when we talk about winning the race, running to win, it's much different than what the world has to say about how we go about winning. We're running for an eternal prize. Not something here on earth. There's no shortage of athletic imagery in the scriptures. And yet winning in this race set before us. One writer said that the goal, listen, this is so important. The goal is to complete it successfully. Not to overtake or defeat others. That's one of the things that sets winning competing, giving it all in a race that sets it apart from the way the world does it because the world thinks that I've got to win and is trying to squash you in the process. In this race that's before us as a church, the goal is to complete it successfully, not to overtake or defeat others. Listen, all who persevere in faith to the end are winners. Did you hear that? All who persevere in the faith to the end are winners, according to the scripture. That ought to bring about some comfort as we think about this image of a race. So if the objective in running the race set before us is to complete it successfully to persevere and to, to press on to the finish line, how do we go about doing it? How do we do it? How does the church go about winning in this fashion? Remember, we're called in now to the picture in Hebrews 12. Okay? We're now called into the picture. The Hebrews 11 saints, they ran the race And the audience is now commissioned to join in the same race and to do so by faith. How many times in Hebrews 11 do you see the phrase, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Chapter 12, church, it's your time. It's our time. By faith, run. Let us run the race set before us. You know, as I think about that, Race of faith. I'm reminded of that definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Do you find it a challenge to run a race when you lack confidence to win? If you think about a race and the, the image that comes to mind with a race, have you ever not run a race because in your mind you really don't think you can win? A lot of times if that's the thought process you're thinking about and looking at who else is running. You see, this is where, again, it's different from the ways of the world because our competitor is not the person next to us. Our competitor is not the person sitting in the chair next to us here in the building this morning. As we see, they're not our competitor, far from our competitor. They are, and will, should be, ought to be, it's designed to be by God's word, our helper in running the race. 
They're the ones that ought to be exhorting each other to run. Much different than the way the world thinks. I want to give you some good news this morning in case you find it a challenge to run a race. You may perhaps lack confidence to run this race. And I just want to say this up front, that you can win this race. You can win this race. Not because Steve said so, but because God's word says so. Here's how. And these come right here from the word. I'm not making these up. Okay? The first thing I think is important for us to see as we look at the text is it's, it's really a call to get motivated. Motivate. You know, bookstores are lined today with motivational speakers, aren't they? Huh? You know, people that travel the circuit and they are motivational speakers. They are speaking to get you to do something or speaking to get you to buy something that they think you need. Motivating you. You know, we're not too far away from January. Three months away, in fact. And you know, when January rolls around, typically what happens in January is there's this thing called New Year's resolutions, right? Dieting, exercising, you know, all these things. People got a lot of really good plans. It takes maybe a week or two or three at the most for a lot, and they're, they're done. And we laugh. We do. We all laugh at it. And we, all, we, we talk about it all the time when it gets close to January. But the reality is, there's something that keeps us from continuing. I think for many of us, we just aren't motivated after a while. We, we lose motivation. And in fact, we lose motivation because we are trying to oftentimes do this by ourselves. You ever notice that when we try and do things by ourselves, they don't last very long, usually? It's hard to stay motivated, especially when it's just you. I mean, after all, when we start comparing and weighing the choices available to us, some of us just like our Coca-Cola and our Mountain Dew and our pizzas, and we can fill in the blank, whatever else is over here on the column. We, we like those things too much to give those up or to at least have them in uh, a lower volume, lower quantities. We'd rather go ahead and, and just do those things. It comes down to, doesn't it, what we feed ourselves? The text says... Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Westcott, in his writing, he says, the cloud of witnesses are far more than spectators. And I think perhaps we need to get beyond this Hebrews 11 gallery of faith folks and and describing them as just merely spectators in the stands, cheering us on. Yay, go, go. I I appreciate what what he says here because I think there's there's much truth in what he has to say. These folks in, in Hebrews 11 are, I believe, much more than spectators. They are spectators, listen, who interpret to us the meaning of our struggle. This race is hard. It's difficult. These spectators, who are much more than spectators, they also bear testimony to the certainty of our success. They ran the race. They finished by faith. That's what it says in the text. These all died in faith. Chapter 11, verse 13. O'Brien, his commentary, says that the appeal to the witnesses here that we're talking about at the beginning of chapter 12, the great cloud of witnesses, the appeal to the witnesses' example is intended. Here's what it's intended to do. It's intended to inspire persistent Christian discipleship. 
So the witnesses serve as encouragement. We talk about motivation. They serve as encouragement for us. Having run the race already, they are placed before us as motivation to keep on running the race set before us. Keep on going. Distance races. You might remember, maybe you've been a part of this before, but when there's a long distance race that's being run, typically there are lots of people that uh, stand on the sides and you see the runners running by and maybe a a family member or a friend or just a a neighbor happens to just be up there at the side and he sees them running by and they're, they're clapping, they're cheering them on. What does that do when someone is encouraging you? You're in a race. You're in some type of contest. And you hear someone clapping and applauding, saying, go. What's it do? Makes you want to keep going. That's our role for one another, church. Are we doing that? Are we encouraging in this race one another? It's not meant to be run alone. Let us run. You know, the reality is that sometimes the call to do something, or in this case, run the race, we need some help, don't we? We're not all that motivated by ourselves. And the Lord has graciously given to us, brothers and sisters, to run with. But if we're going to Win this race that's set before us, there's something else the text calls us to. Something that, if not done, will severely hamper our running. Look at the text. Let us lay aside. Here I just would put forward, uh, we need to lose the extras. We need to get motivated. Well, we need to lose the extras. What do you mean, lose the extras? Well, according to the text, running to win means that we are intentional with the choices that we make. Olympic athletes, they diligently train for four years. Think about it. Some of them run one race. They have one event. And they train and they set aside everything, literally, for four years. To run a race, to win a medal that hangs around their neck for a few minutes and then gets in a up in a frame hanging up on a wall for the rest of their life. I want you to think about the extent to which those athletes train themselves to win a perishable crown. How much more? Should we be training? What's the text say that I need to be setting aside? That we need to be setting aside, laying aside? The first thing it says, let us lay aside. Here it is, it's right here in the Bible. Let us lay aside every weight. Every weight. That's what we're to be laying aside. That's what we're to be putting off. I love what the Living Bible says here. The Living Bible is a paraphrase, and I want to make sure you understand. It's a paraphrase, but I think it hits it right here. Describes the weight as anything that slows us down or holds us back. Anything that slows us down or holds us back. Expositor's commentary says that the Christian runner must rid himself even of innocent things which might slow him. And listen, and all that does not help hinders. Did you hear that? All that does not help hinders in this race. It goes on, he says, it's by running he learns what these things are. So long as he stands or sits or watches or talks about, as we said earlier, so long as he stands, he does not feel that they are burdensome and hampering. It's only as we're running that we come to figure out what's weighing us down. I 
perhaps some of us haven't figured out what our weights are because we have not yet been running. When you run, if I was to run and I had literal weights on my body, believe me, I would know pretty quickly something needs to be taken care of here. Let us lay aside every weight. Every weight. When you're running the race of faith set before you, you'll begin to notice weights dragging you down. By the way, the word weight has in mind a bulk or uh, excess or an impediment. And we think about it in relationship to the metaphor of running a race. And we think about it uh, in the context here of Greek games. And back in the day, clothing would have been an impediment. And they took care of that problem. Even today, while we don't go to the extreme that the Greeks went to, um, manufacturers have gone to extreme means to see that they can pare down what the athlete is wearing. Streamline it, especially for a runner, for a swimmer, those kinds of things. But also as we think about bulk and excess and the weights, you know, what is it that is in your hand? What is it that you may be carrying as you're trying to run this race? Is there anything that you're holding on to? Anything that you're carrying that the Lord said you ought not be carrying in this race? Really, from a simplistic standpoint, the weight could also refer to um, excess weight that one carries. See, strict training involves one working themselves out to run the race. One is going to be, at some level, fit and prepared to run the race. If this person is overweight, obese, it's going to be hard for them to run. They truly have, literally, excess Getting rid of every, laying aside, putting off every weight. You know, it reminds me of what the Bible says elsewhere to train yourself toward godliness. Remember that? Train yourself toward godliness. Train, exercise yourself in this way. Godliness training will demand that certain things go. Listen, some of you aren't going to like what I'm about to say. This might include TV viewing habits, movies, books that you read, friends that you keep. Trinkets that you've held on to closely. We might call those, biblically speaking, idols. The text calls the church to lay aside, to put off one other thing here in preparation for running. Not only the weights... Not only the things that slow us down, but the sin. The sin that so easily entangles or encircles. You know, if I was to have a, a, a robe, I thought about it, but just putting a robe on. Think about a robe and it goes all the way down to your ankles. And, and, and run, again, the metaphor, running the race. And I've got a robe on. I, I, got, I got no room to run. I got no freedom for my legs to to maneuver and extend. That's the idea of this encircling, encompassing aspect of sin, friends. When we are holding on to sin, when we are cherishing sin, running the race of faith, going to be bogged down, going to be feeling like you're a lot like Christian in the sloth of the spawn. Remember that? Just kind of like a quicksand. You're not going anywhere. 
Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles. You know, this verse has always been one that has been hard to read. I don't know about you, but it always, it always makes me a little bit uh, concerned, frustrated, going one of those clench my teeth things when I read that sin so easily ensnares me. It so easily trips me up. We might even ask the question as we're reading about things we're to lay aside or put off. It says the sin. And you know, it makes you wonder, is the writer here speaking of some specific sin that his audience would have known? Could it possibly be the sin of unbelief that was keeping some out? We don't know for sure. It might just be sin from the standpoint of, of any evil, ungodly propensity. But here's what I do know, that godliness training requires that the weights and the entangling sins be put off. The main verb, let us run, it doesn't come first in the text. Notice what comes first in the text, the obstacles. Right? He's talking about motivation, but he's also talking about obstacles here. They're highlighted first. Lose the extras. Drop the weights. Deal with the sin. Take care of it. Know that you're never going to run this race by faith. Holding on to your weights. Holding on to the sin that so easily entangles. Think about the picture. I'm holding on to my stuff and I'm trying to run a race entangled. You're going to be like the salt who has no saltiness. You're going to be like the one who just kind of beaten his body. Paul says, you know, there's no point to it. You're going to disqualify yourself. Motivation, obstacles. Then you get to the main verb, let us run. You ever had someone ask you, I know sometimes this happens in our home, but someone asks, hey, you want to go for a run? And one of the first things that people usually say is, well, how far are you going? Isn't it amazing? We want to know how far we're going. Because truth be told, we don't like to run very far. Most of us. We want to know how far we're going to go. The call in the text is to run. Look at the text. The text, it says it right here. Let us run with endurance. With endurance. Imagine you're running a mile race. That's four times around the track. And you take off and you make it one lap around and then you begin to slow down. I'm giving some of you the benefit of the doubt. By lap two, you have completely stopped. You have no endurance. You've not been training for the mile. Hard to run a distance race when you've not been in training. Amen? To expect that you would run a mile in, in a decent time without having trained for it is foolish. The Christian life, listen is a distance race. And it requires training. It requires training. There's a reason, friends, that you don't pick up your Bible on a regular basis. There's a reason you may not show up in the Lord's house on a regular basis. There's a, and we could go on, we could just make a whole big list. There's a reason we, we don't do the things that we should do. There's a reason we do the things we shouldn't do. There's a reason that you'd rather entertain yourself 
then exercise godliness. See, godliness training means that something has got to go. Something's got to go. And the church, I believe, likes her comforts way too much. Endurance says, I want to cross the finish line by faith. Endurance says, I want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Endurance says, no matter what the cost, I'm going to walk with the Lord. In fact, to take the metaphor, I'm going to run the race. I'm going to do this. I I resolve. I think of Jonathan Edwards and his resolves. I will. I will. With God's help, his power working in through me. I will. Look at the last few words of verse 1. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race that is set before us. I want you to understand this is a peculiar distinctive, definitive race before us. You see, it's a race that requires faith. It's, it's the race of one who is wholeheartedly pursuing Jesus. Not everybody's going to run this race. Not everybody wants to run this race. But if we are going to follow Jesus, it's a race that has a certain dimension to it. And if you read your Gospels, you understand what Jesus says about this race. He says that this race is going to be difficult. He says that this way is narrow. It's difficult. Only a few find it. That characterizes the race we're running. It's a unique race. We're called to run with endurance the race that is set before us. So as I think about the race that is set before us, I think about a pilgrim runner, a sojourner runner, one who understands that he's running but for a time. He's running for a great cause, Christ. He's running understanding that this world is not his home. And he runs. So we have motivation, we see obstacles, we see the main cause, the main objective, let us run, and we see that we're to do it with endurance because this is a long distance race. And then he gives us a little bit more of how we're to run. Look at verse 2. Hang in here, we're about done. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher or perfecter of our faith, or of faith, looking unto Jesus. I think it's important as we come to verse 2 that we are an observant runner, looking unto Jesus. As we run the race, I think about the the person who's running the 110-meter. I love the 110-meter hurdles. You know, if you're running the hurdles, you're told right from the get-go, as you come out of the block, that you ought to be looking at the tape. And you've got your steps down. It's one, two, three, boom, one, two, three, boom, one, two, three. That, that's automatic for that person who's trained. Your eyes are on the tape. As a Christ follower running the race set before us. There are certain things in our life that ought to become, ought to become habit forming. Like having this word in us, for example. Certain things we ought to just know from his word. Certain things are going to help us in decision making every day. Like trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. Right? Just some simple truths that we know and we ought to know as we run the race. They're going to keep us on the path. They're going to keep us running. But but friends, we need to make sure that as we run this race, we're always looking unto Jesus. Jesus is the tape. We're looking to Jesus. As Joshua said, uh, God said to Joshua earlier, don't turn to the right or to the left. Keep going. Looking unto Jesus. Remember the audience 
the Hebrew writer is addressing. This Jesus has been one who's been described up to this point as the, the mediator of a new covenant. The new covenant. And Jesus is the one who's put forward here. It's been a while since his name has been mentioned. Jesus. Jesus is the one we're to be looking to. Now, I think in a group uh, this size, a group in this church body, I don't think we're going to find a whole lot of disagreement that we ought to be looking to Jesus. Anybody disagree with that statement? As we run the race of faith, we need to look to Jesus. Anybody here disagree with that? I didn't think so. I wasn't anticipating people would disagree with that statement. But do you know that the people to whom the author's writing, they probably had some questions. They probably had some concerns. It wasn't just a a check, a, a stamp, a given that they're to look to Jesus. Because truth be told, they'd been looking to their works. They'd been looking to their own sacrifices. They'd been looking to their own ways of meriting favor with God. And that's why chapter 11 becomes so important to these folks because the writer is showing them that this new covenant comes by way of operating by faith. And this race, he says, is a race that's set before you. It's intended now for you to run in the same way, by faith. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher. The author and finisher, two important terms to describe Jesus. As we look to Jesus, the author, he's the one who, the originator. I was thinking about an author and I was thinking about, um, wouldn't it be great, uh, if you think about for a moment your favorite book that you've read. Hopefully it's a good book. Your favorite book. And you think about the author of that book. Wouldn't it be great, I'm sure you would look forward to actually meeting that author. And if you had a chance to meet that author, What questions might you ask that author about the book that you really, really enjoyed? Having a a conversation with the author, the one who wrote it. Friends, we're called to run the race that's set before us, looking unto Jesus, who's the author. He's the one who who developed this, who set this apart, who who planned it. He's He's the big picture person. Wouldn't it be great to talk to him? That's why we're supposed to keep our eyes upon him as we're running the race. He's the author, he's the beginner. He's the originator, but he's also the finisher. Not only, he's the Alpha and Omega. We could probably say it that way too from the scripture, right? He's the beginning and the end. He's the end in that he finished it perfectly. This is such good news for us as we're running the race. Consider, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The finisher has in mind the word to carry through completely, to make perfect or complete. And in many ways, Jesus did just that as he ran the race. Listen, Jesus himself ran the race of faith. Let's not forget this. And as he ran the race of faith, what he actually did was he perfected faith itself. This is wonderful news to just just take in. He's the author, he's the finisher, the perfecter. By his one sacrifice, he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. That's chapter 10, verse 14. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, Endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him. That was what was before him. What did he do? He endured the cross. We've been talking about what it is to endure a race, metaphorically speaking. I want to up it just about. Some of you are doing big math numbers. Whatever the biggest math number you can come up with, I just want to up it right now, that degree. We go from enduring a race to enduring a cross. 
That's what Jesus did. He endured the cross. Let me substitute the word cross and put crucifixion to make it a little bit more real. The writer is is not saying, he's not just trying to communicate the point that Jesus died. He's actually communicating, and he goes on, and and we, we understand this. He endured the cross, and remember in the day, the cross was what? It was a place where criminals and thieves were executed. It was a shameful thing to be hung up on a cross for the whole world to see. Here's the criminal. Look at him. Don't do what he did or else. It was a shameful thing. And yet what we see is that our author and perfecter of this faith that we're called to run the race ourselves by, he, he changed, essentially changed the value system in his day, in his time, as he's running this race. And for the joy that was set before him, he endured the crucifixion and all that that entailed. And the crucifixion itself was an event of shame. And Jesus despised the shame. The word despise actually has in mind both a positive and a negative. One of the aspects of that word is that he was unafraid of what it meant to everyone else. He despised the shame. He didn't care what the world thought of him because he was carrying out what the Father had called him to. Oh, there's a lot there for us. Are we willing to despise that shame? To endure some ugly stuff in our lives that might happen and might occur, might occur because of what Christ did. He laid down his life for us, and the Bible says that we ought to also lay down our lives for the brethren. We also ought to understand that just as he served, we're to serve. We could keep making a list of all the things that Jesus did. Therefore, we ought to, as well, run the race of faith with endurance looking unto Jesus, the author, the beginning, the end of faith, who for the joy that was set before him, not only did he endure crucifixion, not only did he despise the shame, but the text says it has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I love that. Has sat down. F.F. Bruce says that he's seated at the right hand of God. Something that happened back then, but the tense is actually a perfect tense, which implies he's still there in majesty. The author and perfecter of faith, the one who ran the race perfectly, one who perfected faith itself, the one who is showing us the way. By the way, if we go back to where we started from the motivational standpoint, we all like to be motivated and encouraged as we run. The cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11 are wonderful encouragements for us, are they not? They ought to be. The greatest, supreme, ultimate example, motivator, encouragement for us is right here in verse 2. Jesus. Jesus is the one who ought to encourage us and ought to motivate us to run this race by faith. If not Jesus, who? Jesus. Look, that's why we're to look to him. Looking unto Jesus for the joy that was set before him. I love one of the writers who says, in reference to sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, that it's the prize that came to Jesus at the end of his race. Being with his father. Carrying out the Father's will. He knew that he came from the heavenlies, came from the Father. And John's gospel says that's where he came from. He came down here. He was sent down here for a time. And Jesus also knew that he was going to be going back to the Father. The joy that was set before him is that he was going to be with the Father. And elsewhere in the gospels it talks about no doubt that when he goes back to be with the Father, he's also coming back to take us with him. 
that we might be with him where he is. He's run the race. He's passed through the heavenlies. A forerunner. He's made the way. Remember, the good news is you can win this race. You don't have to run this race on your own. He's given to you, brothers and sisters, to run the race with. To exhort one another in the race. To see that together we all cross the finish line. We're all successfully finishing the race. Not as the world would deem success, but as the Bible would define success for us. So are you motivated this morning to run this race of faith? Are you encouraged by what God has to say this morning in his word to you? Are you willing to run the race of faith understanding that the outcomes may not be what you would like them to be here on earth? But are you willing to run by faith, looking to Jesus, understanding what all Jesus went through to accomplish the finishing of the race for you and me? Are you willing to run, willing to lay down the weights, Willing to lay aside and put off the sin that so easily ensnares and encircles. I pray that you are. I pray that you would desire to run this race of faith that's set before us for one particular reason. That God would get glory and honor with your life. And that others, as they look to your life, would come to see and recognize Jesus Christ shining brightly in your life. It might spark them and encourage them on to run this race of faith as well. Let us run. Let us run. As a church... Let us run. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me. Think of those lyrics. Save thou art. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. Is Christ your vision? looking unto Jesus. Let's pray. Father, a sober word here this morning. Some good news, no doubt, wrapped up here in these two verses. But also some warnings, some obstacles, pave the way. Some work for us to do. You've called us to work out our salvation as you work in us. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that you are a mighty God and you've called us to a high bar. You've called us to run a race of faith with endurance all the way to the finish line. And to do so, getting rid of weights, the sin that so easily ensnares us. You've called us to run looking unto you. Our example. Our, our, our primary example. I pray, Father, that each one here would be moved by your word to run this race by faith. And I pray that we would think collectively, not just individually here. I will run. Let's also think about what the text says. It says, let us run. Let us run. I pray that as a church, we would be about thinking collectively. And understanding that if I'm not running, I'm, 
I'm essentially not carrying out what I'm supposed to be doing as a part of the body of Christ. You've called the church to run. Perhaps today, Lord, as we leave, there's some further conversation that each of us need to have with you on what it is that's keeping us from running, why it is we don't feel like running, what's in the way of our running. Father, we need your help in this. We can't run this race on our own. We can't run it very well on our own. I know that. So Lord, strengthen us, encourage us, breathe your life into us that we might please you by running this race together and running it well for your glory, for your honor. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.